0: welcome to Metaphorically Speaking. I'm Delia Delore and each week we look at a popular motto, mantra or metaphor. We examine its possible origins and find how it translates to everyday life. We also have a special guest who can speak about their resonance with their chosen expression. I hope everything is well with you and you're not feeling under pressure and that you're trying your best to take control of your life. If you're good at reading between the lines, you may have guessed the possibilities of today's metaphor. Well, today we're looking at the metaphor under the thumb. Where did that phrase come from? What does it mean and why do we use it? Stand by because our researcher and writer David McDade has really pulled all the stops out and my imagination went into full throttle. I hope it will for you too. Let's start with what is possibly the most disputed explanation of its origin We've all seen birds of prey, eagles, hawks, kestrels, harriers, owls and so on. Perhaps you've even handled one and been amazed at how light they are, or how fast or how sleek or talented. Or perhaps you might even think how cruel they seem. Although they can't be domesticated as pets, birds of prey can be trained. Here's a short excerpt from Ken Loach's brilliant 1969 film, Kes. The accent is quite thick, but like all of his films, 100% genuine.
1: Well, anyway, she was stood there and I walked off into the field and she was looking around all over the place, and when I got in about 70 yards from her, in the middle of the field, I called her. Kes, Kes, come on, Kes. Come on, then. No, it happened? So I thought, well, i better walk back and pick her up. So while I was walking back, I saw her flying. She came like a bomb. About a yard off through her, like Light lightning, head still. And you couldn't hear her wings. They wanted sound front wings. And straight onto the glove. Wham! And she grab me for meat. Anyway, I pleased me, saying I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, i better do it again just to prove that it won't look. So I took her back onto the post. And walked back up into the middle of the field, and called her again, and she came just as good as first time, straight onto the glove and grabbing for a mate. Well, that was it, sir. i, I trained her, soon that all I could do. Falcons are
0: much bigger than kestrels, but still light enough to handle easily. And in feudal times throughout Europe, hunting with these amazing birds was a favorite sport among landed gentry. For that reason alone, a handful of the metaphors we might use today have been said to derive from that sport. With thick gloves to protect against their beaks and claws, falconers allow the bird to stand on their wrist just as they would stand on the branch of a tree. To keep them calm and quiet, the bird's head is covered, or hooded, so that it is fooled into thinking it is night-time. Well, that's the theory, and hence, some say, we get the expression hoodwinked, meaning trait. Oh, don't let it fly away. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That proverb you just heard might be very apt to the sport of falconry and indeed our metaphor today has often been said to have come about from the fact that when training falcons, a leather string called a jess is attached to each leg and with the bird on their wrist, the falconer lays the jesses over their hand and traps them there with, you guessed it, their thumb. This prevents the bird from hopping around or flying away, hence under the thumb meant under control. It's a lovely explanation, but as I said at the start, it's very often disputed by etymologists and other scholars of English, who argue that falconry is actually not the source for any of the phrases I've mentioned, including our own metaphor today. So maybe we should look at another couple of possible origins, we'll never be absolutely sure of course, but it's fun to explore. Let's start way back in time and with all the mythology surrounding the Roman gladiators.
1: You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! Will you remove your helmet and tell me your name?
0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true Emperor, Marcus Aurelius. It's widely believed that the fate of a defeated fighter lay entirely under the control of the guest of honour, most famously the Emperor. When the Emperor jested with his thumb, it was to pronounce either death or life for this stricken warrior. It may be from this that we got the expression thumbs up and maybe even the gesture too. Perhaps under the thumb is also derived from this since it means under control. Why did Roman emperors use their thumbs? Well, in part two, I hope you'll join me in having a little look at our thumbs and thinking about why they're so important and powerful. But right now, let's move on. Just about the earliest published example of the phrase, being used in place of the more literal under control, is in the 1715 collection of the writings of Arthur Mainwaring. The French King, having them under his thumb, compelled them to go at his pace. Clearly, the origins of this metaphor are still uncertain, but its meaning in common usage today is very clear. The phrase these days relates not to kings or emperors or state rulers of any ilk, but to personal relationships and marriage especially. It's a derogatory thing to say of someone that they are under the thumb because it implies that they have little freedom or will of their own, that they are a virtual puppet doing what they're told and under the control of their partner. In the sky. Come However, romantic love, it's said, creates a desire to please the other person and generates a trust that allows us, or even encourages us, to surrender willingly to their wishes. It's not difficult to find romantic hit songs that follow that idea. And i I'd do anything for you,
1: I'll give you love, if that's what I should do. To make you happy, I can pretend it's time I see you.
0: Of course, the other side of the equation is also accepted. For that understanding, there are only two questions. How willingly do we submit? By how much do we submit? rely on give and take where each partner takes a dominant or subservient role in decisions when the situation is too one-sided however it can become toxic and dangerous no longer a partnership but a cruel dictatorship there is a huge difference between willing submission and being manipulated against our will We know that highly controlling relationships exist, and there are many news reports, prison sentences, and even injuries and deaths that show the horrors that can take place in them. Our metaphor today, however, usually isn't used to describe those horrific circumstances, but instead is said as lighthearted teasing, a way of bonding between friends, and is usually not meant seriously.
1: Hey what time your call this then, eh? You
0: miss three rounds of drinks, mate. You're right under the family yeah. Using humor to warn each other of possible dangers before they become serious threats is a way of looking after each other, whether as friends or even family. Here's an example of a mother's humour.
2: Oh, I was quite adventurous as a
0: child. I'd always be climbing something, walls or trees or whatever I could find to climb, I'd climb. My mother used to joke about it. She'd always say something like, Yeah, well, you go and climb it if you want, but if you fall and break both your legs, don't come running to me for help.
2: I found that kind of funny.
0: My guest today is Lewis Elfman, an amazing... Freelance journalist and activist based in New York, whose articles cover a huge range of topics from sports reporting and fashion to crucial conversations about social justice along gender, race and sexuality lines and the barriers in higher education. I'm sure the phrase under the thumb will have great resonance for her. Welcome, Lewis. Lewis, thank you for joining us on Metaphorically Speaking. We are going to be talking about a metaphor that many people have used over and over again. And I think it's one of those metaphors that you make of it as you wish, really. So when you hear the metaphor under the thumb, what does that do for you?
2: The first thing I thought of when you mentioned it is being under someone's control or being controlled. That That was my first sort of association with that expression. And that can mean a lot of different things. It can be a personal thing, it can be a work thing. In my life, I sort of applied it to a work thing, which is many people feel they're under the thumb of their employer. And that can lead to being a more independent person and being entrepreneurial, which I have been. And then there are other implications. For me, my general association with it is sort of in the context of people who try to play well with others, while also maintaining independence. I'm a freelance writer. I write for many different outlets. And while, of course, I must heed the instructions and be respectful to the editors and other producers with whom I engage, I do have a sense of independence. It's not one boss every day telling me to do things X, Y, and Z. Of course, there are deadlines, and I must always be mindful of the deadlines, but there is a certain amount of freedom and flexibility in terms of what I do. That's how I see it in some ways, because I, I've met some people who say I can't work for another person, and I understand that. I can. I'm pretty flexible in terms of that, but I do like the differences in being self-employed.
0: And, you know, the other way of looking at things, if we look at it on a, a wider scale, we can perhaps apply that metaphor to different movements, like, you know, the civil rights movement, for example, or women's rights. Maybe at the time, people wasn't thinking of it as being under the thumb, but maybe it was. What do you think?
2: Well, if, it, if under the thumb means control in a more general sense, I'd say that In the United States right now, women are under the thumb of a limited group of legislators who feel they want to dictate how women live their lives by overturning Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court, the very conservative members of the Supreme Court, have said women are not entitled to autonomy over their own bodies. It's up to the states to decide. I think if we polled truly the population of the United States, we would find most people are in favor of women's right to choose. And instead the will of others have been imposed. And we live in society on so many levels because so much of my work does address issues of race and racism. I recently was discussing a project where they explored the generational ramifications of redlining, which is what drove people of color out of their homes. We just saw a matter in California, where a piece of property, a very prime piece of property, was returned to a family that had it taken away from them years ago. So there's all different elements how we can apply it in social justice settings, which is certain prevailing people in power want to determine the fates, the lives, the options for others. We have to constantly try to protect our personal convictions, our autonomy, our freedoms. That was a very real thing right now. We just saw, since quite a bit of your audience is in the Caribbean, we saw when one of the heirs to the throne of Great Britain was visiting Jamaica. I believe he was met with very decisive statements that... The people of Jamaica want to be fully independent and no longer connected to the Commonwealth in that way and and having to answer in any way to the throne. So we do see big statements of independence, particularly among Caribbean countries that were under control of the British Empire in the past, feeling They want more and more autonomy and independence. So sometimes we do need someone to be in the lead, which is a necessity given everyone doesn't know how to do everything. So someone does need to control the situation, but people are speaking up against overt controls that are not to the benefit of the majority.
0: You know, saying all of that, it made me think of the institution of marriage and that line that cites to obey that in itself perhaps could be perceived as being under the thumb.
2: Well, we know obey has been removed from a lot of people's vows in recent years. That used to be love, honor, and obey. Um, but that many, many, many people have not said that in the last 20, even 30 years. Love, honor, and cherish. Or they've written their own vows in which they promise different things. I remember One couple, a wedding I went to where they said they would celebrate each other's uniqueness. So Obey, yes, and the laws in many countries showed that. We just had a fascinating TV show, which was a collaboration between Home Box Office and, I believe, BBC, a British broadcasting outlet for a show called Gentleman Jack, which portrayed this very unconventional woman in the early 19th century in England, and how she rebelled against conventions and lived a very independent life, yet you would see time and again where men do their utmost to suppress her. Certainly, the laws in the United States, up till not that many years ago, a woman could not own a house on her own or establish her own credit. Everything was under a man people have redefined marriage. Certainly, we see a desire for legal marriage. There's many benefits that come with that in most countries. But exactly what you're promising in marriage, I think many modern-day couples see that more as a partnership than like the helpmate role women were put in in the past.
0: You know the word obey in that context? It may be a bit of naivety of me to say, but I really believe that some women didn't really think of what it meant. They just said it because it was part of the vows. I think a lot of women, yeah, a lot of women, yes, they, you know, thought obey. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. But if we think back when women were saying it, I really don't think it was a, a big deal. I don't think that society then was like, well, you must obey me you know, depending, I suppose, on, you know, uh, what century we're, we're, we're in. But I think a lot of women just said it because it was just part of the bars and didn't think, you know, any more of it.
2: Well, I don't think they necessarily explored all the complexities of it, but I think there was a sense up until certainly the last 20, 30 years where obey was just a presumption that mm-hmm. in, in a marital relationship, especially because of the monetary controls that, men possessed yes definitely. women i think there was an implied understanding of obeying now did they think it meant they gave up all rights i i think not all women realized some were happy to or they thought they were happy to until they found out what it really meant others thought well he's the head of the household but i have this sphere until they we see in. Feminist texts of the 60s, that they, they were realizing it was dissatisfying. But I, I do think a lot of people sort of had an implied sense of being in obeyance. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, when they, then certainly subsequent generations thought, well, it's just the traditional thing to say, and then did not really contemplate what that meant.
0: Yeah. But I've been thinking about this metaphor that. It just seems to be negative through and through. The incl- inclination seems to be that. And I've tried to think of how could it be used as a positive thing?
2: In terms of people being civil to each other, if we obey civility, community, courtesy, those are things that are worthwhile to obey. I mean, implicitly, obey doesn't mean be ordered about or be ruled. If we're simply obeying laws of common decency, of respect, mutual respect, There's that's a welcome thing to obey. So it yes, doesn't have we- to be a negative. Unfortunately, I think many people took it to mean a negative in a matter of control. And going back to under the thumb, obey all too often can, came to mean we do as I say. The le- The leader calls all the shots. But obey. I mean, we need some order so there's not chaos. There are rules. One could say the Ten Commandments are, are rules to obey. There are things that keep us from chaos, but we have to constantly monitor that they don't spin out of control.
0: But you know, when I was thinking of under the thumb as being a negative metaphor, perhaps it could be positive if it is used as a point of experience, putting it down to experience and saying, you know what, I have been placed in this situation before, but I'm not going to be placed in this situation again. I, at the time, did what I had to do. Perhaps, yes, I was under the thumb, but I didn't like the experience, so I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to ensure that moving on, that will not apply to me. That is the only positivity I could think of
2: No, I can also say sometimes if we go in with an objective of learning, of course, if we learn and do better, absolutely, Mm -hmm. what you're saying. But I would also say sometimes it's good to go in and obey the rules and learn something, and then you take it out. We could say physicians who are being trained, attorneys who are being trained, other professionals, yes, yes, you have to obey, and then maybe you're going to re-envision some of the points to be more personal to you. But in many situations where we may not be super happy, we can still learn because we're learning how to do something. We're learning things that will be of value to us later. That could be school or in a job. You have to sometimes try and find the positives in it. I read a book, a novel, a couple of years ago where someone was writing about her experience as a young attorney and all she did was speak so negatively about the partner at the law firm she worked under and and how miserable everything was and and i thought why didn't you try to learn something instead of just complaining that it didn't meet your your what you wanted in an idyllic way You could have said, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this person? While they're not everything I love and adore, I can learn something about her work ethic, about how she sees the law, how she values what the law brings her into the world as a practicing attorney. What can I learn about being an attorney? And then I'm not going to stay here forever because this isn't really making me happy. But I'm going to learn how to do a great job, how to be thorough, how to evaluate situations, how the law approaches different situations, instead of just saying, oh, my God, it was so awful. It was so oppressive. I was so unhappy. Well, I think you make yourself more unhappy. Sometimes obeying is learning not just. I won't repeat that, but here are valuable things that I can take into the next step in my life that are of value to me. I don't want to still be in the situation in which I learned them, but I gained a valuable knowledge, perspective, experience. That is a value. So I do think obeying rules are important and sometimes, but you have to evaluate a situation. What's the value here? You can't always be miserable. Of course, if there's some situation where you find being under the thumb oppressive, then you have to find a way to remove yourself from that.
0: Definitely. Well, I when I think of under the thumb, it also makes me think of the different metaphors and quotes that use the word thumb. And <laughs> I think one of the most negative ways of looking at them is most of the other quotes to me have a more positive overture. So I've thought of thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows thumbs up. I mean, it must be one of those most used symbols online these days.
2: Well, but what's funny is I was watching one of the, my I guess people call them guilty pleasures, is watching Real Housewives shows that air on Bravo. And mm-hmm. I often would put thumbs up, a thumbs up emoji in an email like, all good, all done. And then someone said, oh, thumbs up. but I think it meant two thumbs up meant screw you. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never putting a thumbs-up emoji in an email again. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I guess what, well, what I saw as, okay, all good, instead of saying, okay, or writing, yeah, that's good, again and again, okay, I put a thumbs-up emoji, all excellently, it all looks good in this email. I'm, I'm, I'm set with my assignment, or uh, I'm happy with what we discussed in this email. So thumbs-up Fantastic, but be careful what the the texting generation has taken it to me.
0: Well, Lois, thank you so much for spending this time with us and uh, giving some insight with those uh, interesting little stories. And we wish you all the best. Well, thank you so
2: much for having me.
0: In part one, I explained that the phrase under the thumb is mostly used these days as a friendly joke. Although its origins may have been quite sinister, The 18th century English judge, Sir Francis Buller, is often supposed to have coined the phrase rule of thumb. In his judgment, it said it was fair for a man to beat his wife with a stick, provided that it was no thicker than his thumb. This was never a part of law of the land, but may well have been a mindset, perhaps even a proverb that excused domestic violence for centuries. In Victorian England, employers could legally beat their apprentices with sticks or canes. Even more recently than that, in fact right up until 1986, the same ethos applied for boys only in state-funded British schools. Private and faith schools were even slower to abandon it and continued with what the French called the English vice until as late as 2003. Corporal punishment in schools is still legal in some states of the USA. The Victorian proverb, spare the rod and spoil the child, is still central to many people's beliefs and punishment has indeed been shown to be effective in amending our behavior. However, this is only true if it is balanced equally by rewards for desirable behavior. Also, as the experiments of Thomas Milgram proved, punishment can very easily creep over into violent torture. Well, I don't like where that tangent is taking us, so let's jump right back to thumbs. Actually, the phrase rule of thumb has long been associated with builders and woodworkers, who to this day often use their thumb to take a rough measurement. Written references to this can be found dating as far back as the early 1600s. We know that ancient methods of measurement included the pace, the distance moved in two steps, the cubit from elbow to fingertip and the span from fingertip to fingertip of outstretched arms, as in wingspan. Similarly, the hand, the breadth of a fist is still used today to measure a horse's height although it was standardized at four inches by Henry VIII. The distance from the tip of the thumb to the first knuckle is believed to have been the original form of the standardised inch. And in that way, since imperial measurements all descend from the basic inch, all the measurements could be said to be under the thumb, couldn't they? All
1: right, Charlie, it's off by about two thumbs and a whisker this end. So bring your end up a bit and a bit more. Up an edge,
0: go on another hair, now
1: wait wait just go back down just a nuts all right, Good. Yes we're in, that's lovely, that's a good job that Charlie, time for a cup of tea I think.
0: Landscapers and architects classically hold their thumb out at arm's length in their eyeline to gauge the relative sizes of objects or even make a rough calculation of their height at a known distance or distance when they know the height, using triangulation. Of course, we also know the classic image of the painter at the easel, arm outstretched and thumb out to get the proportions right.
1: No, no, I'm not... I'm not getting the nose quite right here. It seems to be longer than your arm.
0: I... No. No, you know, I think I'm going to just paint
1: this bowl of fruit instead.
0: Back in the 1800s, the lexicographer James Halliwell defined thumbing as the intimidation of living servants by their masters, and here's why. Only landowners and their households were allowed to vote in elections at that time and there was no such thing as a secret ballot. Obviously, servants would only be allowed to vote by dint of being members of the landowner's household and would be expected to vote according to their master's wishes. A thumbprint might be used as proof of identity and the thumbprint of the man who paid your wages and owned your house could be the only way of validating your ballot. Why has the thumb become such a common symbol of power? Well, there are lots of reasons. It's the strongest of our fingers and the most important. Without any of the others, our hands can still function, but our thumb is vital in gripping and grasping, giving us abilities not shared by other animals. And some scientists say that that difference was key to our evolution into tool use and crafts that led in turn to civilization, agrarian, and industrial development, and so to everything we humans have and are today as a species. It's also, of course, seen as rather clumsy. We can press harder with it, but with less delicacy and precision than any other finger, and clumsiness is often referred to as being all thumbs. Little Jack
1: Horner sat in his corner
0: eating a pumpkin pie. He stuck in his thumb and he pulled out a plum and said, what's a plum doing in a pumpkin pie? We use our thumbs for lots of things, from hitching a ride to catching a ball or unscrewing a bottle cap. We can paint faces on them and make them into tiny puppets. We've all sucked on them as infants. We can twiddle them.
1: So they keep on twiddling them thumbs, dead dumb. They're gonna keep on twiddling them thumbs, dead dumb dumb.
0: Or we can sculpt clay with them. And when it comes to being highly visible, nothing sticks out more than a sore thumb. Did you know that your thumbs have a pulse? Everyone who studied first aid will know that it's important only to use the other fingers when feeling for someone else's pulse as their own thumb would give a false impression. In older times, thumbs were thought to have magical powers. Promoting the growth of plants is referred to as having a green thumb and tingling thumbs were said to prophesy an unwelcomed visitor, as with the famous witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth. Unscrupulous shopkeepers last century would surreptitiously press their thumbs on the scales when they were charging by weight, and when playing cards, a skilled dealer can cheat by using their thumb to hold back specific cards. The thumb is used in scores of gestures around the world, but only a few are universal such as the mime of squashing an insect to signify the insignificance of an opponent. Making a circle with the thumb and forefinger is a sign that everything is okay, nearly everywhere, but is a very rude sign to some peoples in Latin America. Pull your thumb off your teeth to insult someone in Italy or thumb your nose at them in England to show contempt. You can stroke your chin almost anywhere to imply pondering, but not too close to the corner of your mouth. In some places, that can be very offensive. Well, it's time to wrap up our show for today. So just to summarize, perhaps the most two relevant things of all that we've touched on today are the idea of squashing something with a thumb and the gesture of the Caesar at a gladiator contest. It's the idea of control that defines our phrase when a person is said to be under the thumb. I have to say, I've enjoyed metaphorically thumbing through a catalogue of thoughts today, and I hope you have too. You know, today reminded me of another phrase that was used when I was younger, and that was, butterfingers. Does anyone remember that? Well, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking, and we'll tune in again for the next one. Thank you to our guest, Lois Elfman. I had not spoken to her for a while, and uh, that was since I was the editor-in-chief of She Caribbean magazine, and I commissioned her many times, and from listening to her, you know why. Thank you to this show's editor, Nicholas Webb, Odua Osimwenke, who is our social media manager, Please visit our pages called Metaphorically Speaking Delia to like and comment on the content that Odewa, Ernie Dineve, and Ineo Chikarulva have produced. That's Metaphorically Speaking Delia on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at We'd love you to share the show with your friends. And feel free to leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual streaming platforms. Thank you to Jonathan Woods for managing our podcast platforms. And of course, a huge thank you for listening. We do depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. So please forward this to your friends. Don't forget to join us for another metaphor next week.
1: I'm Dean Delore,
0: keep safe and goodbye until next time.